One of the reasons why we're so intrigued by this word explore is because there is this unknown factor of discovering things that we haven't discovered before. The curiosity that makes us want to explore more, like for instance, space, the final frontier, to boldly go where no man has gone before. You know, like we know a lot about space. We've discovered a lot about space, but yet when you think about it, we still have no clue. There's so much depth in space that we have never discovered. But just because there's still mystery to it doesn't mean that we don't believe that it exists. There's so many other things when it comes to that. Like, for instance, the sun. We step outside, we know that it's there, it warms our face, and we've discovered so much and know a lot about the sun, but we still don't completely understand how it all functions and how it completely sustains itself. But just because we can't fully comprehend everything about the sun doesn't mean that we don't believe that it exists. When you think about the earth, Like, do me a favor, wherever you're at, just stomp your feet on on the ground. It's solid, this earth, it's sustaining, it's sustaining in space instead of being flipped around all over that place. And yet, we understand a lot about the earth, but how it stays and how it functions and sustains in space, yes, we know gravitational pull with the sun and there's things that we've discovered, but yet, what's truly behind gravity? There's so much that we know about it, but we haven't fully comprehended it, and because we haven't fully comprehended it, it doesn't mean that we don't believe that it exists. Our heart that's inside of our bodies. I mean, put your, put, put your, head, or put, or put your hand over your heart. You, you feel your heart beating. And, and we know so much about the heart. I mean, the, the science behind what, what goes on in the heart and the surgeries that now are available for people with heart complications, it's insane. But yet scientists still cannot figure out what actually ignites the heart to spark and to start up into someone's life. But just because we can't fully comprehend the science behind the heart doesn't mean that we don't believe that it exists. Your soul this thing that's inside of you, that, 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 that is trapped in this body, this shell. We, we, we have feelings, we feel pain, we feel excitement, we feel lows, and yet we, we, we know some about the soul, but we don't fully comprehend it. But just because we don't fully comprehend the soul doesn't mean that we don't think that the soul exists. Now, I say all that to say, if a person only believed in what they could fully comprehend, then I guess they wouldn't believe in the sun. They wouldn't believe in the earth. They wouldn't believe that they had a heart or that they even had a soul. And that would be kind of absurd, right? The same thing, going off that analogy, is true when it comes to exploring more of our faith with God. God has revealed so much about who he is to us as his creation, but yet we can't fully comprehend everything. There's so much mystery to God, but just because we can't fully comprehend him doesn't mean that we just say, well, I guess he doesn't exist then because we can't fully understand him. I don't know if for for some of you that are watching, you know, the concept of that or the concept of the mystery of God or the concept of science has kind of kept you at bay from diving in and surrendering and believing in God. But I just want to encourage you. I mean, some of the great scientists like Einstein, he says that the more I believe in science is the more that I believe in God. Or like uh, Heisenberg, who said that those that just take a little sip of science, they'll become atheists. But if you take a gulp of science, at the end of the glass, you will find God. 
uh, I got to, the chance to sit under a great scholar in seminary named uh, Dr. Gary Habermas, and I'll never forget him talking about the mysteries of God. And I don't exactly remember how he said it, but how I wrapped it up from his lecture was this idea of how God's mysteries don't diminish the evidence of his existence. God's mysteries do not diminish the evidence of his existence. It's what actually makes him God. It's what makes him worth surrendering our lives to. It's what makes him worth being worshiped. And so today we're gonna dive into one of those mysteries of God. There's many mysteries of God, but one of the mysteries that we're gonna dive into is the mystery of the Trinity. The mystery of the Trinity. What in the world is the Trinity? It's this plural idea, this plural word of God being three and one, which, you know, wait a second, I thought Christianity was monotheist, meaning like there's just one God. So wouldn't that make it polytheist, meaning that Christianity is worshiping many gods? That's the mystery behind this concept of God being three and one. And so it's important for us to kind of get an understanding of this idea of the Trinity and what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? How do we comprehend that? And I just want to warn you, uh, we'll get an understanding today, but it will still make your head spin a little bit. But don't allow that mystery of the Trinity to keep you from believing in it. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. But before we dive into the mystery of the Trinity, I want to pray for you and pray for me. Father, thank you for drawing us here today online. And I just ask that you would help us to just clear distraction for a moment and not miss what you would have for us today as we explore one of your mysteries uh, that sets uh, Christianity and belief in you apart from every other religion in the world. And so help us to hone into this amazing, amazing idea. And so we just pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So the Trinity, what is the definition of the Trinity. Here's a good definition for us. It says this, it's the single being of God existing equally in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This idea of three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit being three distinct persons in a single being. And one of the things that's really important that you need to know right offhand is that if you were to pick up a copy of the scriptures and try to find in the New Testament the word Trinity, you're not going to have any luck. And then if you flip over to the Old Testament and you try to find the word Trinity, you're not going to find the word Trinity in the Old Testament either. Uh, this is an idea. This is a theological idea that is, however, laced all throughout the scriptures. And the early church fathers took this idea and came up with that word so that people could talk about it. And then later, scholars and theologians were at councils and defined the word Trinity uh, as this as this oneness of God. And we see it all throughout the scriptures. We see it all throughout the scriptures. For instance, let's put some up on the screen that we see. Here's just a few. It says this, in the very beginning of the scriptures, in the book of Genesis, it says this, let us, not I, but let us make man in my image. No, in our image after our likeness. See the plurality. It says, come, let us go down and there and confuse their language. Let us go down there. Or then it says in Isaiah, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? The Hebrew, one of the Hebrew names for God is this word named Elohim. And that word Elohim has a plurality in its nature and in its form. 
Uh, there's many different illustrations that people have tried to come up with and that, that all of them can be broken down to a degree. Maybe you've heard some of them, this idea of three and one, this plurality, this oneness of God being in three distinct persons. You know, you can take three different candles and light them and turn the lights off and yet there's just one light shining in the room. Or you've got the egg, where you take a single egg and you got the shell, the egg white, and the yolk, but it's still just one egg. Or water. You got water, it can be solid, it can be like ice, it can be liquid, or it can be in the form of a vapor. But one of my favorite illustrations for the Trinity is actually one that myself and four-time Stanley Cup champion Darren McCarty and I came up with. And five years ago, I had a little interview with him, and I thought we'd just kind of go back and have a little uh, blast from the past, if you will, to see this kind of cool way that we can look at and symbolize the illustration of the Trinity. Take a look. When you think of the grind line kind of as this like force, and we're talking about the Trinity, you got the grind line as the force. And then if you think about you know, the grind line wouldn't be if it wasn't, you know, it, it couldn't just be you. It no. couldn't just be Malpy. No. It couldn't just be Draper. No, it's so everybody has a, everybody has a role. Out of the three of you, what would you say the distinct roles each of you brought to the grind line? What did uh, Draper bring specifically? Dra- that uh, well, was, Draper, was, Draper is the, the conductor, you know, like he's the brains. If I'm the, if I'm the heart, you know, um, you know, he's just the brains, you know, the, the, the big brother, mm. the, you know, keep the, keep things tight, you know, like he's, that's the way he's always been. You look at what he's doing now. So he was the brain, you were the heart. Yeah. And what would you say Malpy was? Maltz was like the, 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 you know, maybe like more of the, he was the pulse, you know what I mean? The pulse. Maltz, Maltz is even keel, mm. you know, even keel. He'll stick your eyes out, even kill. You know what I mean? Every one of the most consistent guys that you'll ever play with, as far as you know what to expect, you know what he's gonna do, you know he's gonna rile the guys up. Well, we th- want to thank you so much for sitting down with us. It oh, really, it really means a lot. But I got one more thing, and it's really, really serious. Okay. Yeah. Now I know, like right now, if we got on the ice, you probably take me. Okay. You okay. could probably take me, right? Right. But I think right now. I think I can take you with this. Oh, those. are you in game shape? I mean, do you, wow, you, I mean, I, like, what do you think? I mean, you. I'm in. I, are you I, in? Because I, I feel like I'm I can never, take you down, Darren. I'm never screwed. Okay. All right. Let's give it a shot. Let's give no, it a shot. I'm never screwed, but I got to be red. All right. <laughs> He's got to be red. Red Wings versus Tampa Bay Lightning right now. Here we go. Opening game of the playoffs. Here we go, Steady. ladies and gentlemen. Go. Yeah! What's <laughs> up, one nothing? <laughs> He's got. <laughs> I've never you seen that. that on video? You've never yeah. seen that happen I've never seen that. I've never Mike, seen that. Mike, Mike. 
and I haven't even aged a day. I mean, unbelievable. And man, I wish I could show you guys some of the unedited version of Darren McCarty. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff. It was an amazing interview. But what did he say here, right? We're talking about the grind line, one of the famous lines in the NHL that caused havoc all over the NHL. But look at this. Okay, so we've got, we've got Draper, we've got McCarty, and we've got Malpe. Each of them being a distinct part, a distinct person to form this force, this grind line. And what did he say? He said, Draper was like the head. He was like the orchestrator, kind of like he was the boss, kind of putting all the pieces together, kind of keeping them focused. And then you had McCarty, who he was the heart, right? He would get in the piles, he'd take his gloves off, and he would get right in the mess. Then you had Malpy, right, who was this pulse. He was this pulse, this, this energy for them that kept them going. And so, in a, in a very similar way, look, we have the Father. We have God the Father, who is like the head. He's the, he's the operation. He's the conductor of it all. And then you've got the Son representing, well, like I said, the, all the analogies break down. You've got McCarty as Jesus. But hang with me with the, with the analogy. Jesus came, the Son came down, got in our mess, and in a sense took off his gloves and got bloody for you and for me. And then the Spirit, the pulse, the energy that, that helps keep us going, that helps keep us going on the right path. And so many different illustrations for this Trinity, but now let's look at what each of these distinct roles, where we see these distinct roles happening in the scriptures, and then how are we supposed to interact with each of the distinct persons of the triune God of the Trinity. So let's start with the Father. Let's start with the Father. Here we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, it says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom, all, all, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. Here's another one. It says this, one God and Father of all who is over and through all and in all. He's like, when you think about a business partnership that it's an equal partnership, but many times in those businesses, it's like the first among equals and it's really hard to explain, but, but he's kind of like the, like the boss, the, the orchestrator of the whole thing, yet there's equalness. He's the Father. And so what do we do? We, how do we interact with the Father? We go to the Father. We go to him in prayer. We communicate to the Father knowing that he's the one who's under control. The Father God who is under control has everything rigged and, and under his power and authority. And so we go to him uh, for our rest. We go to him for our peace. Uh, we go to the loving Father who has his arms open for us to rest in. But the question I have for you, the same question I asked for me, is it's so easy, right, for us to neglect God the Father, that person in the, in the Trinity. It's so easy for us to, to, to not engage with him, knowing that he's the one who is in control of everything. It's really easy for, for us to, to rest, to find our rest and our peace and our anxiety and the things of this world that we kind of will try to lean into, but it's never enough. But when we rest, when we lower our pride and say, you know what, I can't do this on my own, so I'm going to fall. I'm going to lower my pride and fall into the arms arms of, a fa of my Father who truly gives me rest, who truly gives me peace. Let's talk about where we see the Son being God in Scripture. It says this, Jesus says this, he says, all should honor the Son just as they should honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent me. So there's Jesus claiming equality, saying that the way that you honor me should be the same way that you honor the Father. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, well, that was Jesus trying to proclaim to be God when he really wasn't God. Okay, well, what if we could show you a passage in Scripture where God the Father calls God the Son God? Here it is, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. Here's God the Father talking. He says, but the Son, 
he says. God the Father talking to the Son. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Here you have God the Father declaring that God the Son is God. And then I love how Philippians 2.6 says this. It says, though he was in the form of God, meaning Jesus, right? He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He understood that we would, this would blow everyone's minds. It would blow our minds. One of uh, uh, my, my favorite passages in scriptures that shows the evidence that Jesus was truly God is found in John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59. He says this. He was talking to this crowd, and he says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, and then he dropped drops a bomb like no other. He says, I am. And he drops the ultimate of all ultimate titles to the entire crowd. And I imagine this crowd just went, hush. Because he mentioned the awesomest, holiest name of God, the great I am. To this day, Jews, many Jews still will not even utter the word because they don't want to take it in vain. The word Yahweh, it used to just be four consonants. And then later they added vowels to give a pronunciation. But it was such a sacred, sacred word. This idea that he existed before all existence and he creates everything that is existed. The great I am. We see this word being used when Moses was in the Old Testament. When God spoke to Moses in the burning bush and he said, I am the great I am. And Jesus declares that title for himself. Now, some would say, well, I mean, did he really actually mean to do that? Well, everyone in the crowd thought he did. Why is that? Because as you continually read in the scriptures, it says that people around him started to pick up stones and started to try to stone Jesus. And in that context and culture, you could not publicly stone someone unless they were caught in the act of adultery, which wasn't the case, or if they claimed equality with God. Make no mistake. Jesus claimed equality with God. He would say, I and the Father are one. And so how do we interact with this being of the oneness of God, with, with God the Son? We, we interact with him as him being the one that we model, the one that we mimic. We interact with him knowing that he is our grace gift, that he is the one that, that met us, that meets us in our shame, that meets us in our sin, and has the power to cleanse us of our sin. But it's really easy, if you're like me, to neglect that, to push the Son of God, that person of the Trinity, off. It's easy to take advantage of that grace, and just kind of like, who cares, and just take advantage of it. Or it's really easy to belittle it, thinking that maybe his grace gift wasn't enough. Remember, Jesus died once, and he doesn't need to die again. It was the final sacrifice once and for all. Let's go to the next one. God the Spirit, the other person of the, of the Trinity. It says, Jesus says this, before he ascended into heaven, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so if, you know, here Jesus is saying that, you know, you have to baptize in the name of the Father, showing the power of the Father. And then if he just wanted credit for himself, why would he mention the Father? But he also includes the Spirit. And all throughout the New Testament, you will see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit uh, joined together, showing the equality of those three together in the same sentence. The Greek language does this all the time throughout Scripture. 
Then we see in 2 Corinthians 3.16, it says, wherever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, proclaiming as the Spirit as God. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What is the Spirit? John 14. And I will ask the Father, Jesus says this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Spirit, that may be with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The gift of the being, of the person, of the Spirit of God in the Trinity and the triune God that we have as a gift that's living inside of us the moment that we give Jesus our lives. He's our helper. He's our counselor. We interact with him. He's that conscience that, 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 that warns us, yet yeah, don't go this way. Don't, yet, yeah, yet, yeah, yet, yeah, you want to go this way instead of that way. He's there to, to help us, to, to, to guide us, to convict us. But it's really easy, as you know, as I know, just push them aside. Yeah, we hear the voice. Yeah, we know we should make, move there. Yeah, that person did come up in our minds today. Yeah, but I'm not going to call them. No, we, we move. And it's really easy to neglect the Spirit, but we have to strive to not neglect the Spirit and allow the Spirit to counsel us, be our advocate, to be our helper. The mystery of the Trinity. <laughs> we can understand a little bit of it, but maybe even right now as you're listening, you're still kind of like, whoa. It's hard to fully comprehend. But just because there's mystery in it doesn't mean that we shouldn't believe in it. Why is the Trinity so important for us? The Trinity is so important for us because if there isn't a Trinity, if Jesus truly isn't God, well, then he is a flat-out liar, he is crazy, and he was a complete fraud. And if Jesus truly isn't God, well then the salvation that we talk about or that you've heard about, it's not valid. Because God needed to be the one. We needed a capable final sacrifice to pay for our sin. And God was the only one who could actually do it. God is one. And he is the one and the only way. Jesus made it very clear, I and the Father are one and no one can get to the Father except through me. There's not multiple ways to get there. There's not multiple centers. Well, every path leads to the same God. That is a lie. There's one way and it's through Jesus. I get, it's complicated, right? I mean, the mystery of the Trinity. I mean, it's, it hurts my brain. Jesus is on the cross talking to the Father, but yet he's God at the same time. I mean, it's, it's like, whoa, I get it. But just because there's mystery in it doesn't mean that I don't believe it because he's shown us so much more. And I see the powerful working of the Trinity, of the oneness of God and God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit working all the time. I wanna give you just one example that I saw last week right here in this auditorium where I'm speaking from right now. I want to show you a man. I want, I want you to meet a man named Walter. The man named Walter, whose first Sunday was last Sunday here at Mile City. Uh, Walter is a 91-year-old man that lives in our city. And six months ago was connected to a granddaughter that goes to our church here named Elena she never knew she had and reconnected with him and loved on him and um, 
in her mind, Walter became her one to let Walter know how much God loves him. And so she began to talk to him about God and how much God loved him and the thought about him coming to, to this church to experience it. And he, he would say, there's no way. If I ever went into a church, the place would burn up because of the things that he would, has done in his past. But one of the things that intrigued him to come and check out Miles City was that here at our boroughs location here in Plymouth, he worked here back in the 40s for many years building counting machines. And so that intrigued him to come check it out. And so last week, he showed up. And when he showed up, he realized, wait a second, this is Building 2. Building 2, the warehouse where I'm filming from right now, is the exact same warehouse where he was working making counting machines. And so as he sat through the message last week, something started to stir in him at the end when I started to explain to him that God loves him so much that he gave himself Jesus to, to die for the, his sins and then rose again three days later. And there sitting on the back row, the spirit began to work in Walter's heart. And he told his grandkids, he said, look, I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm feeling this emotion right now and I'm feeling this, something's happening, something's coming over. And when I gave the opportunity to receive Jesus and asked if anyone was ready, Walter raised his hand and gave his life to Jesus. And in that moment, he hadn't been in church in over 80 years since he was an 11-year-old boy. And he said that it was starting to kind of almost scare him a little bit because he felt close to God and he almost felt like his time was coming to an end. And as he walked out of this church last week, he said, I think I finally made things right with God. And then on his way back to his grandkids' house, he started to, he was saying to them that he felt like God was calling him, that Jesus was calling him. And then when he got back to his grandkids' house, Walter had a stroke. And Walter passed away. His first Sunday was his last Sunday. And the Spirit and the Son and the Father, the mystery of the Trinity, we saw working like no other. I mean, think about this. The Spirit of God was getting his attention, was convicting him, was drawing his granddaughter to meet him, to draw him here into this building. And then he was met here by the Son, by what the Son did for him, by getting in his mess and taking on all of his sin and all of his shame that he thought no one could ever forgive, but he saw and understood that Jesus could forgive it. And then come on, the Father, how he orchestrated. I mean, the fact that Walter sat right here in this building the very same building back in the 40s where he was making counting machines is the same building he realized that that's how God counts his forgiveness and it's only in seconds. You tell me that that's just coincidence. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working it all together to get Walter's attention. We see that work all the time. It's real. It works, it's working. And maybe it's even working and stirring in your life. 
right now. Don't allow the mystery of it to keep you from believing in it. And I, I don't like to do this all the time, but I just feel like it's relevant. What's keeping you from believing in it? I mean, Walter, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Walter left Miles City last week. And it, wasn't, it was nine minutes after he left this building that he had a stroke. And I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm just trying to bring the reality. I mean, come on. We're not guaranteed another nine minutes. And so don't allow the mystery, don't, don't, don't allow the science to keep you from diving in and believing and letting go. He loves you. He wants a real relationship with you. What are you waiting for? And so right now, wherever you're watching, I wanna give you the opportunity to receive Jesus, to let go, to lower your pride and receive him as your savior today. And so wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching, just say, Father, here I am. I'm done running from you. No matter how old I am, whether I'm 16, 44, or like Walter, 91, it's never too late. Right now, I confess my sins to you. And I believe that you, Jesus, are God. I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for rising again for me. And right now I lower my pride and I receive you, Jesus, to be my king in my life. As we continue to pray, if you truly meant that, if you truly in faith believe that Jesus is God and is the only one who can take your sin away, the scriptures say that you will no longer perish, but you will have eternal life. Father, thank you for the gift of knowing you. Thank you for how big you are, that the depths of who you are will never be able to fully comprehend, but thank you for revealing just enough for us. We love you. We praise you in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you made a decision, we want to encourage you to not walk alone, uh, to get your questions answered, to not it's not, you're not meant to, to go on this path, to go on this journey alone. And so we just want to encourage you to, 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 to have some boldness here and just text the word, my faith, to the number on the screen. Just text the word, my faith. And we'd love to answer any questions that you might have. So as you're contemplating what you've heard today, as you're contemplating the mystery of the Trinity of who God is, uh, we're, we're gonna sing a song about God's greatness. And just as the song plays, just let these words just kind of sit over you and maybe ask yourselves the question, where am I neglecting the Trinity of God, the oneness of God? Is it, is it the Father? Is it the Son? Is it the Spirit? Wherever you might be pushing him away, I wanna encourage you during this song, to lean in to God the Father, to God the Son, to God the Spirit.
Trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. 